In order to show you how a big symphony orchestra is put together, Benjamin Britten has written a big piece of music, which is made up of smaller pieces that show you all the separate parts of the orchestra. These smaller pieces are called variations, which means different ways of playing the same tune. First of all, he lets us hear the tune, or the theme, which is a beautiful melody by the much older British composer, Henry Purcell. Here is Purcell's theme played by the whole orchestra together. of the orchestra playing the same personal theme in different ways. First, we hear the woodwind family, the flutes, the oboes, the clarinets, and the bassoons. Here comes the brass family, the trumpets, the horns, the trombones, and the tuba. the personal theme for the string family, the violins, the violas, the cellos, and the double basses, and of course the harp. percussion family, all those drums and gongs and things you hit. After this, you will hear the theme by Purcell, played once more in its original form by all four families together, that is, the whole orchestra. Welcome back, pod people, to a new episode of Cinema D'Amore. I'm Justin Morgan. I'm here with... Chuck Phillips. And Lexi. We're Cinema D'Amore. We're back. We're talking about Wes Anderson again. We didn't skip too far into the future from the Darjeeling Limited. We did go over the fantastic Mr. Fox, and we are in Moonrise Kingdom. So fantastic Mr. Fox came after this? Before... Oh, I'm sorry, before. Okay. 
I think Lexi just quit the podcast. (laughs) Came after? Before. Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) The mic drops. That's right. I'm out. Fuck this. Don't hear (laughs) Just here in the background, like, God damn it, I'm always embarrassing myself. (laughs) It's nothing there. Yeah. So, anyways, I I think Wes Anderson does find a really nice a really sweet spot in these this like period of time including fantastic mr fox which we're not talking about but moonrise kingdom is absolutely one of my favorites and one of my favorite theatrical experiences walking out and being really impressed with this movie but i guess discovery researching it or or studying it I guess farther now watching all these Wes Anderson's back to back to back which I don't think I've ever done before I think this is the first time that I said fuck it I'm going to watch all of them in order so watching them like fresh it's really interesting to watch that transformation from Bottle Rocket up to this point so far this is very peak Wes Anderson stylized wise you know what I mean? Like, this is when he's really coming to what people expect from a Wes Anderson film. Like, visually, all the cues are there. Like, it's a very, like, visually a Wes Anderson film, much more than Darjeeling, which had a very much more realistic quality to it, despite being one of his films and having his feeling in the film. I only disagree with it, you thinking it's the peak. <laughs> No, I don't think it's the peak. I'm just saying, like, if you want, like, when people are like, I want to see a Wes Anderson film, I'd be like, well, this is probably more what you're looking for. Yeah, you had a good point. I was just nitpicking that. Yeah, no, no. I'm like, it just keeps going more and more Wes Anderson. Oh, I know. Uh, my wife asked me, she's like, "Is have you watched a Wes Anderson movie that's too Wes Anderson? I'm like, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> There's a point every director who has a certain style can go too far with it, and then they become a parody of themselves. Well, you separate yourself from it, and everyone bitches. Right. Yeah, I, I immediately think of Hateful Eight. Everyone's like, what the fuck was that? See, I thought that was his best film since Reservoir Dogs. And Tarantino's like, uh, kind of a more mature movie, but all right, <laughs> I see what you guys like. Yeah. They want I they want the over the top violence more. I thought it was one of his best movies outside of Reservoir Dogs. But you know what? I felt it was the same film as Reservoir Dogs, except set in the old west. True. Yeah. But we're not here to talk about Tarantino. <laughs> Oh, sorry! It disappointing, Justin. I know we did know. all the Tarantino movies already. I know, but I feel like I feel like any opportunity you get to the, to go back in. The only thing I, I'm, I'm dis- mine. The only thing I'm disappointed in in that is that I never got to talk to you about how I feel like Kevin Smith and Quentin Tarantino are the same director. Definitely not. But I would like to hear it. Maybe we'll do a special episode. <laughs> That's the title of it. Why? A very special episode. A very special episode about why Kevin Smith and Quentin Tarantino are the same filmmaker. (laughs) They both respond like, we're definitely two different people. (laughs) 
No, I mean like style-wise. They do the well, That's same when you thing. say, well, you didn't listen to the podcast because we're that's talking right. about the style, people. That's that's right. <laughs> You're on a fucking roll tonight, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's been a day. I, I, I agree. I have exciting news. I don't know if you care about my exciting news or not, or if I just want to get right into things. You know, we can we can go into the news. I, uh... I'll I'll hold back on exciting <laughs> until I hear what it is. So I've started doing the electrolysis on my like downstairs area to start my surgery for my vagina. <laughs> so it's it's a it's a big step for me. I was on a waiting list for like eight months to get the electrolysis started for it. And now I get to go every week and have my balls zap with an electric needle. Uh, pass. <laughs> but that does sound like that is exciting. I will you. say this. It does not hurt even half as much as getting electrolysis on my face. Face is 100 times more painful. It is the worst getting my face done. Now that's just removing hair. Yeah, they stick like a needle down into the pore and they shock the follicle and then it kills it completely and they pull it out. So, like, for the surgery, I have to have all the hair completely dead yeah. in order to get it done. And then they're going to take my penis, and they're going to cut it in half. And then they're going to flip it inside out and stuff it down inside. And then I'll have a vagina. And then they use, like, your ball sack, and they build your, like, labia with that. And I guess there's something they can do now with my stomach where they can add something so it self-lubricates. So the only thing I basically can't do is get pregnant. Yet. Yet, yeah. That's true. That's why when I get I'm the ha- surgery... I'm happy for you. It also sounds very terrifying to me. Everybody thinks it sounds <laughs> terrifying, but the end result is, you know, you get what you want. You get what you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The other side of it, though, is that I'm super excited to get it done, so then I can say my favorite joke that I have now, which is I'm going to tell people to eat my banana split when I get my pussy. <laughs> <laughs> We'll have to have like a an oral dialogue of like how that go how how well that joke goes, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> I f- I feel like if I had that joke, I'd I'd be using it at all the wrong times. Everyone would be like, "What's wrong with you?" I don't. I thought it was a good one. Sorry. It's it's better than my old pickup line, which was, "Why would you want a domestic when you could have an import?" I didn't know it was a pickup line. Now that's weirder. (laughs) You know what? It'll work on the right person. It it would. It really would. I I can definitely see that. And now that I've brought the LGBTQ flavor to your show. Oh yeah, we needed it. We're just two white white guys. But yeah, no. So that's gonna be fun. A lot of, lot of like body modification going on when I'm done uh, with this. Just for shits and giggles, I would probably do the hair thing for my entire body. Every fall, every follicle of hair. People be like, "What is wrong with you? You have a disease?" I'm like, "No, nah, I just was like." You got that albinism? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a part of your albino disease or something. I, I mean, I started lasering my face, and that got rid of the dark hair. But I went gray at thirty, so now. I have to do the electrolysis because I have all these white hairs on my face. 
which the lasers can't do anything with. But then I started the laser treatments on my chest because I used to have like a hairy chest. So that I did for about six, seven months, I think seven months on my chest. But I had to take a break from it to do the electrolysis on my face. I want to get my face done first. And then I'll probably go back to doing my chest. But I got my chest done just enough that I can like wear low cut shirts, which was my big issue with that. They got me on like if you just had my pills. body, you could do it. You wouldn't even need it. Right. <laughs> I, I mean, I was pretty hairless to begin with. So like I don't have to do anything to my back. Most of my arms, just like my lower arms, things like that. But there's a lot to do. It's going to take me a while to get the hair completely removed. But at least the government's paying for the, the crotch. I love knowing that the U.S. government is paying for my trans surgery. It's the best. <laughs> I mean... Holy shit! Like, I mean, I won't say the amount, but like, how much I had to pay for taxes, paying taxes this year. Uh, you're welcome. Right. right. <laughs> I paid for it. Yeah. I paid. You hard. probably, you probably only paid a small part of it because it's like a thirty to forty thousand dollar procedure. Well, yeah, I paid a small part for the procedure, and uh, a lot of it probably just went into. Some senator's pocket or something. Oh, of course. <laughs> Always. So anyway, yeah, it's like interest on your loans. It's like <laughs> yeah. your uh, your $19,000 loan, uh, you've only paid 80000 on it, and you still owe another 140000 <laughs> Wait, nineteen? Wait, back it up. I'm not sure how math works. <laughs> so anyway, back to Wes Anderson. <laughs> It was a good cut. I everybody that tuned in for Moonrise Kingdom, well, they need to know who you are. They need to understand us. So, yeah. I guess that's the best way. We'll say, yeah. yeah. Tack them head on. That's right. That's my tactics. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not brash about. It. I'm not uh, carefree about anything. I'll say whatever. I don't give a shit. But it's all about perspective, so yeah, we'll see how this show goes. Not to go into a big, long thing, but I was talking to my therapist the other day, and I was like, I feel bad for a lot of trans people because like, this has been a really positive experience for me. And like going into it, like I haven't dealt with like persecution. It's really helped me with my employment. It's really helped me like with my confidence. It's really helped me like making friends and talking to people like it's been great for me. There's been really like no negatives for me. And I'm like, I know I'm in Denver and I know I'm in a good area, like for people to treat other trans people. And I see a lot of trans people and I have a lot of trans friends and stuff, but like I feel bad for people who are going through like a lot of shit, but I also feel bad that I'm not going through a lot of shit. <laughs> like, it's like they talk about their, their plight and I'm like, yeah, I don't know what that's like. <laughs> and I'm like, I feel uh, bad. I live it's in like... Denver and yeah. uh, not experienced. You have to, to go move to Alabama for six months just to right. see just to see what that's like. I'll go visit my mom. In yeah, Tennessee. you go to Alabama, you're going to get quite a yeah. different experience. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, if I went further into Denver or uh, Colorado, it's a very red state. I don't like, know. Maybe venture back into Florida. I went to California and, like, flew there when I first started my transition, and I had no problems there either. So I just, like, I don't know. I think the funniest thing was getting my boobs dusted because they thought they were bombs. Because that's back <laughs> when I was wearing those huge fake boobs. And, like, then she's patting down my bot boobs, and I was like, they're fake. And she's like, oh, like, she thought I just had surgery done. So then she was, like, <laughs> she was excusing herself while she's patting down my boobs with this thing to make sure they're not bombs. 
That'd be the perfect hiding place. Honestly, Lexi did say something about the Darjeeling Limited being her therapist's favorite. Yes. And I thought that's where you were going. <laughs> like, it didn't have any. I thought it was tying back into Wes Anderson, and it didn't. No. Yeah, that was my therapist's favorite movie. She was very pleased to hear that we covered it. She's going to listen to the episode now. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I might not be saying enough, but uh, if you really want to know how I feel, mostly about the Wes Anderson, you can tune into my podcast. <laughs> I don't know. You're the therapist. Maybe there's something going on there. Yeah. You can Maybe you'll out. find something in that episode. She's like taking notes while she's listening. <laughs> she... You talk about Jason Schwartzman's mustache, and he's like, gonna have to talk about that she calls yeah. you up like in a panic like oh my god you're in so much trouble like i need to save <laughs> you right now <laughs> you don't know the danger you're in that's amazing anyways moonrise kingdom <laughs> one of my favorites 10 years old now ish going 20... to be going to be yeah, 10. almost 2012 was when this one came out 2012 yeah okay I think I saw it with Chuck, even. I think so. I think we might have done a double feature with something else. Is this what we saw with Magic Mike? Uh, I, I think this is 100%. This was my birthday. No. We were, are you, what did we see? We saw a Wes Anderson no, movie with Magic not, Mike. We didn't see a good movie on your birthday. We saw Ted. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, no. That's a terrible film. No, Chuck's birthdays always happen to be a Transformers movie. I, I, I yeah, think it was Ted, uh, man. I'm never sad about a Transformers movie. No, we did 100% see, see Ted on my birthday, but I don't think it was the same. Uh, no, Magic Mike 2012. That was what we saw. We saw we saw Magic Mike and Moonrise Kingdom. June 29th was when it came out. It came out on my birthday. He's like got a document. We He's did. We, that was our double feature, and then we went to Dave and Buster's. That was my birthday. Magic Mike, Moonrise Kingdom, and Dave and Buster's. That's that's a, that was so, a, that was a good day. You think I wouldn't remember my greatest no, no. birthday of all time? Honestly, Chuck, you were hundred percent wrong. When did Ted come out? I don't fucking know. There's yeah. like, that. <laughs> look it up. There, there's like a thirty-two year old unmarried. We'll June twenty ninth, twenty twelve. We saw Ted and we saw Did you see Ted and Magic, Magic Mike. Mike together. Oh, yes, that, that is that's a weird day. Okay, so that was, that's that was a, an even weirder day. That's a Actually, terrible weekend. Knowing knowing us, we probably even saw Moonrise Kingdom the next week because it probably wasn't because it took forever yet. to yeah because it took forever to get the to get to there. Yeah, you know I wonder if I even see it because we. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna look up in my my uh email real quick so th <laughs> this is an example of a wes anderson film that i had no idea was a wes anderson film when it came out i was on amazon and they just kept throwing ads for it at me on amazon and i was like i don't know what this is but it looks delightful and i was like i'm gonna find this and watch it when it comes out whenever the fuck that is and i think i just found it on a streaming service like i found it on amazon for free when it like came out or whatever and I got like a few minutes into it, and it's like Wes Anderson. And I was like, oh, that makes perfect sense now. I mean, it is interesting. I just have to stop you, Justin. Yep. Ted came out in 2015. You're way off. Yeah. No, it didn't. It yeah, came it out did. in 2000. I just looked it up. What are you looking at? Ted. Ted, 2012 comedy. <laughs> Listen to this date. Released June 29th, oh, 2012. Sorry. Ted 2 Ted came up. I don't know why Ted 2 came up when I typed in just Ted. 
Oh, this episode's great so far. <laughs> Hold the, the fuck! <laughs> like we finally get in the Moonrise Kingdom. Hold the fuck up! The oh, battle. Let, let me tell you. Let me tell you. Like the fuck it was. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyways, I was gonna say that I discovered that Wes Anderson's brother is an artist, and he's the one that did most of the Criterion covers. Yeah, he does the books in this movie too. And yeah, he's been doing a lot of the art in the movies, but it's weird because with Criterion, Fanta- uh, Fantastic, Mr. Fox, and this, they don't they don't have his art anymore. It's just like a very weird, like, uh, it's photo photo from the movie of the of Moonrise Kingdom from Moonrise Kingdom, <laughs> huh? But if you, I, it's actually really funny because. I know I don't have it for visual aid for everybody that's listening to the podcast, <laughs> but uh, if you look at it, like once you take the wrap wrapping off of it, the plastic wrap, the the cover is just the, the like that coast in the island, whatever you want to call it. Huh. It's the inlet at mile marker three two five. Yeah, the inlet. Yeah, I I do enjoy this movie. We got a lot of, uh, this movie has a lot of firsts in it. A lot of first time collaborators for, uh, for Wes Anderson. We only got a couple returning, you know, Jason Schwartzman, Bill Murray, Bill Murray getting a little more to do, but. Is this his first get... Bruce Willis? Yes. Yeah. Bruce Willis, uh, Edward Norton, Harvey Keitel, Tilda Swinton, Bob Balaban. I want to say it is his only Bruce Willis. I think so, yeah. I don't think Bruce ever comes I was back. Just gonna say, did Bruce have a good experience working with him? Because he's very difficult to work with. I feel like Bruce would have had it. I'm just guessing because I heard what he, Kevin Smith went through. And Kevin oh my Smith God. was like very like he didn't know the camera lenses or anything like that for his movie. And I just feel like if those are the questions that he's asking Wes Anderson, I feel like Wes Anderson knows the exact visual right. style that he wants. So he's yeah. a Coppola. You better know something. I think. Yeah, I think he has a. Uh, it, it more or less seemed like, like I I like Kevin Smith, but it it just one hundred percent seemed like their personalities just didn't go together more than anything else. Uh, right. With that, and I think so. Yeah, it, and Bruce Willis is also one of those like him, Harrison Ford. And there's like a few others that you can tell, especially in like the past 20 years when they are enjoying themselves on a movie and seem to be like it, having a good time filming, which he doesn't like it doesn't come through in his performance that like he hated anything on this film. Whereas like there's other films that he's been in, like Die Hard 5, that you're just like, I think he hates every second of what he's doing on camera. Like he so hates this or, or like cop out oh, like you yeah. can just tell you can tell in cop out that he hates everything about this movie he hates he hates his co-star he hates the director like he just absolutely does not want to be there at all in that in that film in the slightest and Harrison Ford I get like the same thing with some of those movies lately where you just look at him and you could just tell he does not like what he's doing he doesn't enjoy anything about it well they keep remaking his movies and then making him have sons in them it's like how many times true. we have to watch one of his char- classic characters brought back to say, he's got a son or a daughter. It's like, come on, fuck on. It's like, it's like that's your My favorite plot. thing is him th- talking about answering Star Wars questions. Oh my God, he hates Star Wars so <laughs> he much. He hates it so much. He's like, I don't fucking know. It was just in the script. That's what I said. And I didn't think about it. 
<laughs> right. Oh, man. So I wanted to say something about this movie that I thought was very interesting on this watch that I don't think I remembered so much on my first watch. Um, it's oddly sexual for a movie starring 12-year-olds. It's and more so just, than like any other Wes Anderson movie, too, I feel like. Well, like the way he frames the girl and shoots her, like it's not just like that there's two 12 year olds and they're kind of like getting a little promiscuous. Like I've seen plenty of that done appropriately. I was like, he's framing her as a sex symbol. He's shooting her like one. He's posing her like in sexual ways. He's doing kind of like a little bit too much with this. And I was like, huh? Like uh, when Sam's drawing Susie, it has like a very Titanic feel to it. Well, like, I mean, yeah, she's like posing on the beach in her underwear. And I'm just like, it's not so much that, you know, she's doing that. Like, that's fine because they've shown the kids an artist. And I was like, but it's like, okay, this is an adult story told with kids. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, it's filmed and shot. The kids present their dialogue like very adult. Everything, he smokes a pipe. Like, everything is very, very adult despite them all being kids and i was like it's a cool idea and it's intriguing and i'm like but it definitely has this like quality where i feel like it crosses a few lines and maybe i'm the only one that like noticed that but when i brought it up at work today a lot of people were like yeah i noticed that too so so i think that the biggest the, the 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 biggest like red flag thing that is like the most worrisome but i don't know how you get around it is yeah, it's an adult, like, adults wrote this, adults directed this, because kids can't do that. And for the most part, I get this vibe that it's this coming-of-age story, and these are characters that, like, since they're kids, they copy what they've seen. So I feel like a lot <laughs> of, like, the, you know, like, the pipe smoking and that, like, everything that Sam's done, he's seen it somewhere else. You know, like, I, that's kind of what I, I get there. The, the whole idea of running away these characters that we didn't really get into the plot of, of the movie. Uh, these, these two adolescents, they run away together and that the idea of like survival and all we need each other, all we need is each other with not really quite understanding the consequences is also such like an extreme, I don't know, kids thing. That's right. why like yeah. when I have the idea of like when they're in the tent together and you hear the like the helicopter and stuff, and they unzip it, and Bill Murray's like the, uh, Bill Murray is literally the funniest in this movie <laughs> that, that I th- I think than any of the other ones. And uh, yeah, he's really when he good. runs up and they like zip it back sh- closed again, and he like and he just grabs he just it, lifts the whole, the whole tent. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean I love that. the implication to Bill Murray is that they did something, but I don't think the kids did anything. You know, no, what I mean? and like, I don't I think, either. I think it was totally innocent. Like they. Like they're getting attacked for something that they don't quite understand, which is totally like a totally like a kid's thing. Uh, does it cross a line? I think it, if it doesn't cross it, it's like right up on it. Like it gets pretty close to it. It's not. It's not stuff like that that I think was where the line was crossed. I think it's a like I said before. Like it's about how he shoots the girl and how he frames her, and the actions that he takes with her more so than anything. Because, like, he's not portraying her, like, okay, like, she's not innocent. 
they prove that right off the bat. Like she's got mental problems. She's kind of a tweaker and that this kid is thought of as being mentally deranged as well. The boy, even though he's not, he just has been through a lot and they just keep labeling him that way. So when you label her the way that you did, and then you start presenting her and framing her that way, you get a Lolita effect. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think that that's where my issues were coming in with it was that stuff more so than the innocence of them being on the beach in the underwear. That's fine. But it's about how you shoot and frame everything. Those close-ups of her eyes and those things like that. Like the, it's dull, very sexual. I also like I smiled a little bit when you were talking there because you were <laughs> well you were talking about how she is also like has some sort of mental issues we know that from like the books that Francis McDormand and Bill Murray were hiding and you're like but Sam's just he, he that's what people think that he is but he's not and it really made me think of the scene where they're talking to Tilda Swinton over the radio and they're like your boy stabbed another boy and they're all like, it was the girl. Was the girl. <laughs> yeah. He's and like one like, of those, he just has like ADHD or something like that. Well, and then all the boys are scared of her because they're like, she's a fucking wild cat. Like <laughs> he's the parents all... of the stabber. <laughs> I would refute that, that label. She was attacked. I will say the kids in this movie, all phenomenal. Excellent actors, every yeah. one of them. They gave an A-plus performance, every single one of them. They mm-hmm. were my favorite parts of the movie. Like, They were so good. I loved the bad motorcycle kid. Uh, Lucas yeah. Hedges, like his first yeah. appearance as, as the the jerk kid. But like, he, he also <laughs> wasn't necess- like, he was an asshole, but there was also this really good quality about him where I was like, I don't know if I necessarily want to beat him up. I yeah, a lot like of the kids him. were funny. Like, I liked the one with the knife that was like, barely could talk for some reason like his voice was changing so deeply <laughs> yeah and, and his lines are just like hmm, i'll know about that you're just a girl <laughs> like this yeah. kid but yeah when they're like uh, all i'm saying is i'm not gonna be the one that didn't bring a weapon and there's just that shot of like them with like the spiked club and hatchets and knives that they're all walking into the forest with like ready to kill him well it also is funnier too because edward norton i love edward norton He's fantastic in this, but he really helps so like push the kids to make them funnier. Yeah, where they t- they say something earlier, and he's like, "We don't want to kill Sam. We want to find Sam. Like, we don't want to hurt the kid." Yeah, I, I yeah, then, I enjoy his whole his whole inspection that he goes over when he's like when he does his like daily walk. Like, <laughs> what are you doing with all that lumber? Building a treehouse? Where? Up there? <laughs> that is way <laughs> that too high. That is, if someone falls from that, that's instant death. Or would you have built it lower and then just walks away from him? <laughs> and just leaves him there and like when he continues on like that one kid's playing with like matches your, and stuff like that and he's real, like spot what check what's your real it, job i'm a i'm a teacher a math he teacher. Back, he's like what grade? i changed my Eighth answer grade. i changed my I changed answer, my answer. Yeah. i'm a i'm a scout leader first a scout leader first second. math teacher is my side job right i like when they're gambling in that treehouse and in the middle of the windstorm and he like knocks on the wall and sees it fall out yeah and he's just like we need to help our fellow camper <laughs> well it is funny too when uh they can't find sam so they go back to the to his tent and they have like the shawshank redemption remake in there <laughs> yeah where he rips <laughs> down the poster and there's the whole Jiminy one crickets he flew the coop oh <laughs> uh. The dialogue yeah. is excellent in this there, movie. there's a lot of yeah there's a lot of great he, he like makes it feel like uh 
Like it's obviously supposed to be somewhere in like the northeast. Uh, it's it's very vague as to where it is. It's on a a, a made up island that they make. It's like a Martha's Vineyard. Yeah, type it's like deal. supposed to be up there. Which and I do love like Bob Balaban is like the random omnipresent narrator that is talking about the storm that's going to destroy the island he's before great. it's even happened. He's like, I like that he's real. But and yeah, he's just, a real character that like and he interacts. shows up. Yeah. yeah, he shows up to let them know like he's in the middle of doing one of his things, and he just like gives them a run by as he's there, and then just walks off to continue documenting. Yeah, every everyone's great in this film. Uh, yeah, Francis McDormand and Bill Murray as the parents, as like the two lawyers, uh, work work well together. Got like him, <laughs> like there's a moment in this movie that I feel is a hundred percent me, and it's when. Bill Murray walks down the stairs in his pajama pants and he's shirtless and he goes to get the hatchet <laughs> and he's like, I'm going to go find a tree to cut down. And he just, I don't, I don't, yeah, I'm like, that is totally me. They're like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why I thought you were going to say it's when he's, uh, when he's in the field and he's got like two black eyes and they're like, oh. what happened to him? And he's like, I think he was searching in the dark and he's like, and he just goes, she took the batteries for the flashlight. <laughs> like, that's just his excuse. And he just walks away. <laughs> then he, like, sits on the motorcycle in the background, like, yeah, playing Yeah, you know with what? It. Maybe more than I think. Like, even that, when he gets mad and he takes his shoe off. And, and throws it at it. Edward Norton. <laughs> I'm, um, I'm mostly Bill Murray in this movie. Yeah. Like, he's he's tapped into who I am yeah. as a human being. This is, like, maybe When Bill she Murray's... has that question, like, where did your daughter go? And he's like, uh a loaded question yeah this is like the one where he's like the least uh, i don't want to say like like he's like the least of a jerk out of any of his roles like you actually feel sorry big for jerk him in and darjeeling well, i mean yeah no. when he's when he doesn't have too much to too much to say in that one but uh yeah all the all the cast that he has in this one i think they all work well i i, I really enjoy even he's only in it for five minutes but uh cousin ben jason schwartzman might yeah. be my favorite character of just like just like running the running that supply tent and then when they give him like what is it 75 dollars mostly nickels I'm keeping the nickels I'm keeping the nickels, the nickels. Are my feet. And like they're looking I, I don't know i think we should give it to him are you not listening i'm keeping the nickels <laughs> fine they can have the tennis can gums but out the gums sister. Yeah. He has, yeah, he has so many great moments for like he, he has such small screen time, but he's so memorable that I just I, I love his character in this. I mean, like it, I don't this style that we get into in this movie, too, is is strange because I feel like the surrealism just like it always goes up a notch in every single movie to the point of like how serious all these khaki scouts are <laughs> and the like harvey Keitel is like the godfather of of khaki scouts scouts. (laughs) they're like shaving him um (laughs) it's just like that power of like and it's so funny because like his age and everything it's like he he's like a leader of this like cult of of boy scouts that he's like his army that he's raised (laughs) and they're only on that island right they're on another yeah. island. There's two or... islands. Yeah. There's two islands of yeah. them. Okay. Because I was like, and then there's just they're just on this island alone, but there's all these little like troops of them all over the place. Well, it was supposed to be where like all the troops were meeting, so I think it, they weren't all his. They were like all different troops, but it did get funny. It, I thought it was funny though that they lost Sam, and they're like, uh, Troop Fifty Five. They ended up losing one of their 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 scouts and then later they're like he lost the entire troop troop. (laughs) (laughs) and he just shows up where's your troop well they're missing (laughs) it is funny too when they recreate that scene that you liked with the you know him waking up the first time 
and but now nobody's there, and it's the same thing of him reading the magazine and then being like, yeah, he does the entire uh, thing. Nobody before, yeah, before he notices that, that no one's cooking breakfast, no one's doing anything. <laughs> I think this might be one of the first West Anderson films that we've covered on here that the theme is not centered around a father. Yeah. Lack of father. I guess, yeah, yeah almost more of that. In well, this one I guess than... Bruce Willis becomes a father. Yeah, that's, that's the final, final moment in there. Yeah, this feels like this is the first one where I feel like where he finally like takes the idea of having kids as the protagonist. Like he's used them in something like uh Royal Tenenbaums where, and it feels very similar where the whole joke in that film was that all the kids were like adults by the time they were 11 years old. Like they were already, they were already doing very adult things like writing plays and trading stocks and doing things like that. They were all, they were all fully grown up by that age. Uh, but the way he plays it in this film is like it feels like he he does increase like the whimsy and maybe that fantasticalness or surrealness. Yeah. But at the same time, this does feel like his most, I don't know, I guess real film. It's in more natural locations. Like it feels like less sets than we went from uh, Zisu, which was all a giant submarine set for most of that film. And then you get Darjeeling, which is 90 percent train sets and other kind of sets other than a few a few moments outside <laughs> train sets and just other train kinds sets, of sets. And, and other kind of sets uh but this one's like the most natural of all of his films i feel like also it's the one that he uses the most handheld camera it feels like like, like a lot of his other films are so locked down to a tripod or a dolly and this the only thing that is as natural as this is Bottle Rocket, which yeah, is his also, first one, yeah. yeah, and a little bit in Rushmore because he still wasn't necessarily doing, doing all of the all of that particular framing that he started yeah, getting like into. The shots in this, like the ones that are obviously like miniatures and stuff, uh, the flooding, they are yeah hyper realistic. Like they they are meant to look real. Uh, the only thing that kind of looks goofy is like Edward Norton like jumping to save yeah, Harvey Keitel. <laughs> Uh, See, I, I think this one's super Wes Anderson-y. Like, it's got a really like strong use of color, even though it's using mostly natural colors because of the Boy Scouts and stuff. But like, a lot of the scenes are shot in that same sort of like Steve Zissou, the cutaway boat. Like, the camp is all cutaway, like side pan shots. Like every time he's yeah. doing anything with the Scouts, it's always like those like single frame kind of like you know well, sliding you think shots, of, like, and... like the mizzen scene and the blocking. Uh, just the way that he had constructs how his characters work uh he like it's it's so well thought out that i would honestly say he's probably better at it than anybody else yeah and like you really start to notice it in darjeeling limited when like the camera kept like that moment when they're at the one station and the one brother would walk away and the other brother would come in and the other like they were all over the damn place uh, several times in that movie and this kind of feels like the exact same way, like that shot with the that started with you know Bill Murray with the black eyes and the bike, and then Francis McDormand and Bruce Willis are in the foreground, like oh he's he's catching on <laughs> about us, but like there's so many things that happen in that single shot that I think the only thing that they were safe about was like, I mean like even that shot of like what Bill Mur when they found the cat food. And Bill Murray threw it, and Edward Norton caught it. Like I don't know if he was supposed to, but yeah, was, it feels like that's a, a hell of moment. a thing to do for the end of a long <laughs> take. You know, 
They CG'd it for all we know. Uh, the only thing safe in that scene is maybe ADR. Like you don't have to. They probably recorded them all afterwards, anyways. But no one once, fucked it up. Once he figured out how to do those shots, those like cut like cutaway shots, and then moving the camera along. Once he figured out how to do those, do you think he'll ever stop doing it in his movies anymore? Like, I do not... think he's always going to evolve into something. Like. I'm saving it, but when we talk about the French Dispatch, it's literally, in my opinion, like, uh, it's so Wes Anderson, I can't even, uh, it's going to be hard to describe. I'm just <laughs> interested to see how you guys all take it. Because, like, I was just like, I've noticed that every one of his movies, like, he pushes that shot more and more and more, that, that side cutaway shot, and that's kind of, like, become his, like, M.O. It's like, you're not, you, you know it's a Wes Anderson film when you get one of those shots. Yeah, I mean, like, Besides the blocking and the color, like everything is really flat. It's always like straight yeah. on. It's like a, it's like watching a picture book. I'm, yeah. and, I mean, especially following Fantastic Mr. Fox, which yeah. essentially was a picture book. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that movie really helps this movie because it really like opened up his idea of like uh, maybe storyboarding or think really you know, doing the choreography for what's going on. Yeah, I know that he, he like filmed a lot of the the stuff that he did in Fantastic Fox. Like he would film it with the actors actually doing the motions, like them sitting on that uh that like motorcycle that they were driving around and I've seen like the videos of him and George Clooney and Jason Schwartzman like all sitting on the motorcycle together doing the dialogue lines to, like visually show what it would look like for them to all just be riding on a little motorcycle. Oh, you did remind me, Christopherson that's voiced by his brother that does the art. Oh, yeah. In that one. Yeah, he pops up every once in a while in a few different things. I think his uh, I think his brother, his, I don't know if it's the same brother that does the art, but I think his other brother is the, the assistant to Harvey Keitel as well. I think it's one of them. I know he has like a couple brothers. It might anywhere, be the so. same one because I think his other brother I read was like a lawyer or something, so I don't really see them him doing that. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know if I'm thinking too much into it, but like the visual, uh, the visuals from Fantastic Mr. Fox of the tail, uh, George Clooney's character gets his tail blown off and then becomes yeah. like a necktie. So he's wearing the tail. And then in this, Sam's wearing that, that like Davy Jones skin hat. Yeah, yeah. Davy Crockett, not Davy Jones. Uh, <laughs> a Davy Crockett, like <laughs> it's a Davy Jones hat. And that that when he gets when he gets zapped by the lightning even and, and it like that sticks straight up in like, the air yeah <laughs> I mean it does have a similar thing because it gets destroyed and that's essentially what happens to uh, blows the nickels up and they go flying through the air <laughs> like like Sonic uh, getting hit by something <laughs> well the fantastic Mr Fox too his tail like gets destroyed till it's like this ratty barely resembles a tail at all yeah. Uh, and the hat was the same thing. Oh yeah, the the sound that sound designed when he got struck by the lightning of all the coins like just made just it hundred times everywhere. funnier. I was I always love that, but I, then I always love uh, <laughs> it, his reaction, Bruce Willis's it, reaction to. I just heard the boy was struck by lightning, and he's that's news to me. <laughs> like looks like, <laughs> looks over at Ed Norton, and, and he's just like, yes, it's true. He was struck by lightning. <laughs> yeah, he must have been Canadian because when he got hit, he exploded with coins, like Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> uh, hey bus money <laughs> uh. now, like even how it builds up to the end when they're all in the church 
and I don't know if Wes Anderson like sees it that way but like those costumes are so creepy because it makes me think of every like folk horror thing yeah or like like you're just gonna get massacred by people in animal costumes that that was always that was that was the thing that sold me when i first saw the trailer my favorite part what kind of bird are you (laughs) i'm a i'm a blue jay she's a robin no No, i said what kind of bird are you (laughs) i love that i love that That scene it makes me laugh so much that kid is such a fucking player that kid well, yeah. is such a player. I was like watching this movie. And I sent Justin a text. I'm like, dude, this kid's a fucking pimp. <laughs> I was like, I fucking dropped for a second for him. I was like, damn, he's fucking hot and he's in control. I was like, he didn't fuck around. I was like, that that scene when he like just with the ladies, everyone else hated. Oh him. yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's that's also one of my favorite. Uh, I love the he uses like the montages really well in his films and i love the one where it's uh their letters going back and forth and they're all like real short and clipped like it doesn't even have to finish the statement because you just know where it's going by what he keeps showing and like when it just keeps cutting back and forth to she's she's freaking out on like the girl in her classroom like getting into fights with people that it's like that it cuts back to him and yeah he says like his line of I don't know why people don't like me and it shows him watching a movie and he just like punches that one kid in the stomach and then just runs away or something like that. He's like, he's like, I can't figure out why no one likes me here. I like when she stabs the kid with the scissors. You're not entirely sure what happens and it just flashes three images on the screen. Uh, I have a question after that. The aftermath of that is the dog gets shot with an arrow and I feel like this is like the third time the dog dies in a Wes Anderson movie. So well, what's the deal, Wes Anderson? You don't like animals? I mean, I'm not a dog fan, so I'm not opposed to it. Oh, I forgot to tell you you're off the podcast. So. <laughs> I'm a cat person. Hey, the dog doesn't die in Steve Zissou. He just gets left on the island with the pirates. Uh, You don't have to be that extreme. You could, <laughs> Both animals you can like. I have a dog and a cat and another dog. <laughs> I'm actually scared of dogs. Uh, my dogs wouldn't hurt you. No, I've unless I told dogs. them to. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm like I'm coming over, and you open the door, and it's just my dogs, and you're like, "Oh no, <laughs> man!" <laughs> I'm starting to get used to them with my job where I deliver. So, but yeah, not a big dog fan um why is this your favorite like your other favorite like this was your choice right uh justin yeah yeah i i think for me this is one of the ones like when i walked out of the theater i instantly enjoyed it and every time i rewatch it it confirms that like it's still the same if it doesn't get better and i i think partially it's one of the funnier ones too uh it's just layered with jokes to the fact that like you, you i don't think you could if you can make it through moonrise kingdom without laughing i maybe there's something wrong with you so did chuck did you pick french connection then no i picked the first two okay i picked darjeeling too it just happens oh. to be his favorite okay yeah the way but they are two of my was, favorites uh, uh we were doing the schedule and i was like darjeeling i'm like chuck pick your other pick he's like i did pick my other pick and i'm like <laughs> all right then i'll pick two more so Okay. I just uh, try I don't even out. know. I honestly I only watched French Dispatch once, so 
we'll get a better idea next week when we do that episode. Right. But I don't know if I instantly liked it when I was done with it. And I really did also feel the same way when I watched Grand Budapest Hotel. That was another one that like was instantly great to me. Yeah, it was really good. I really like that one. I I have to agree with you on Moonrise. I think it's a beautifully done film. I think it's almost timeless in the way that it's done. Um, it's beautifully shot. It draws you in really well. The story is very intriguing. Um, it's different. It gets not different while being different. Like it's taking an uh, original idea that's been done and kind of putting a fresh spin on everything. And, uh, you know, the casting is excellent in it. Everybody's doing a good job in it. And it does a really good job of taking you through a nice range of emotions, which Wes Anderson films do a really good job of taking you through a full range of emotions. But this one, I feel like when we watched all of his previous films, they all have similar theming where I talked about like the father and there's a lot of men and whatever, which by the way, this is the only Wes Anderson film to pass the Bechtel test. He has one. Yes, Susie talks to her mother. He has one. Uh, and they said it was not a lot, but it does pass. So he, he gets a, he gets a point for that. But um, yeah, no, like this is a really good film. And is I it also wa- his first period piece? Mm, yeah this takes place in 1965 yeah. i think the I other like ones are all that, supposed to be present everything just, after that has like something different in a different place in time yeah. he has a visual style that draws back to the 60s all the time though yeah so i think his films all kind of have that feeling and i don't think moonrise stands out amongst them as you going oh look this is a period piece because he's all got that same style i mean them. even with the khaki uniform and the people that live on those types of islands like yeah and the way that those houses don't normally even change it could be a modern film and you wouldn't know any difference besides maybe seeing the weird like you know the way that they were watch like when they cut the sam and he started that fight watching yeah. the movie they were clearly watching it on a projector like it was like Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, <laughs> but then they're they're in they're in like a prison, I think, like a boys' school, but like some kind of yeah. like boys boys' camp. So they also bust out projectors in prison still to this day to make well, even that movies. shot of like the juvenile detention center that's like clearly yeah. a, a prison. Yeah, I love how it's it's like confusing when you first uh, see that guy that's like his caretaker or whatever, or the guy mm-hmm. that runs the place, and when he just keeps going. We just can't invite Sam back, and, and Bruce Willis that is like, was so "I funny. don't understand what that means." And he's just like, "It's just for the other kids. We just can't invite him back." He's like, "I don't know how to take that, sir. I'm just telling you what is happening with Sam as a matter Are you of his course." Father, I'm his, his, I'm his foster parent. Yeah, that wasn't in the registry. <laughs> I just sent over. the letter over. Yeah, <laughs> Edward Orton's like, he did. It's right here. I also like Edward Norton has a romance with the, uh, the switchboard like operator. Yeah, and it's very subtle. It's literally just like the photo that he the has photo at the end, and like when she sees him after the flood, oh. and is like, is like, oh, are you okay? Like, <laughs> yeah, they like don't make a big deal out of it. Just one of those behind the scenes things. Yeah, I mean, I guess overall, uh, Darjeeling and and this have like a lot of very real character moments in it yeah i mean i guess even royal tenenbaums does too 
I, maybe they seep into more movies than I'm thinking of, but it, I, it seems heavier. Like the stuff that's going on, like the kids are running away, but like the stuff that they're trying to escape, it's I mean, it's not the worst stuff in the world, but see, it I is think, real life. I think this movie is really light. Because even though they run away, they run away on, like, this tiny-ass island that, like, people can literally walk from one side to the other in an hour. Yeah. He's got the only car on the whole island, the cop. So, like, it only takes him, like, five minutes to drive from one side to the other. And and so they present this idea of danger. Well, really, the only danger is that coming storm because they're outside. They're not in a safe spot from that storm. But other than that, they're completely safe on that island. Like... They're not in any level of eminent danger at all, and they're all. It's just the people that are dangerous, <laughs> right? Well, and, and so like, there's this like sense of like they put themselves in a position to survive, but they've also put themselves in a poor position to survive. But it's okay because they're really not that far from anything. So like, there's always this like sense of like not really impending danger and i don't really find this one as grounded in reality as you were initially saying like i think his most grounded in reality film is darjeeling i think that's the one that has the most well i mean this this realistic quality it goes back and forth in this one like a lot of the moments between the characters yeah definitely it does get a little cartoony but then at the same time uh the the finale of the movie is kind of scary because it has the feeling that, I don't know, maybe these two kids will kill themselves together. Yeah, there is that quality. <laughs> if the storm doesn't kill them. Yeah, I do like uh, where he's like, they're like, oh, we'll jump and we'll hit the water. Maybe we'll be fine. And he's like, uh, just in case we end up accidentally committing suicide. <laughs> <laughs> I have something I want to tell you. but And then that's maybe the most Wes Anderson shot that makes it in the movie is after the the lightning hits the church and they're like dangling off the side and Bruce Willis is holding them in its own <laughs> silhouette. Yeah, that was a good shot. And then his like need to like dress the kids up like costume. Well, his, I did say at the end that it was for, I think how you just say her name's uh Juman for Juman. That's his wife. Who's a costume designer. So, oh, okay. Yeah. I was like, who is this person? I looked it up. It's his wife, the costume designer. But I do like how his characters evolved and costumes is also a, like the way that he evolved where he's he's now wearing Bruce Willis's like police miniature uniform. cop right. uniform. <laughs> yeah. And you're genuinely rooting for these kids at the same time. Like I was like, oh, I hope this works out for them. Like, I hope that, like, it doesn't have some sort of tragic ending. I was like, I don't want this to fall apart for them. I'm like, they're really good for each other. So There's like... not even, like, a strong villain in this. No. But I think that's what makes it good is that it's really a film from the perspective of children. This whole movie is, like, a child's film. Like, yeah. everything they present is large to them. But it's not really. Like, even when he lays out his kit of, like, shit that he has for survival, he ain't got shit. And then he looks at what she has, and he's like kind of scoffing at what she has but at the same time i'm like you're in the same boat as her you just have like one better item than her i'm like truth is her record player has got more value to you guys than anything and wes anderson knows the audience is going to pick that up and it makes it a million times better too and then with him sending the other kids to hunt him then it just <laughs> becomes children hunting children and children engaging in these like adult 
seeming situations lord but of the flies the, yeah. yeah it's just it's like when they have their showdown in the woods it's like the most childlike showdown in the woods it's like she stabbed me with scissors Ooh. she stabbed me with lefty like, scissors they always like, like make a point about that so funny don't you dare cross this stick and it's like <laughs> a foot in front of him <laughs> So there's always like a story about bigger things, but really the biggest thing is their love. And that's the biggest, most realist thing in the film. And that's both adult and child. And that kind of transcends that like adult child area. And it's like, love is for everyone. And that's kind of where he takes it when he lets them like pushing their love. Like, no, we're going to get married. We're going to take this to the next level. Like it's a child's thing to get married, but I do believe genuinely in their love. And well, what also they feel connecting, the like kind of everybody finds their place. Right. You know, by the end of this movie. Well, and he gives Bruce Willis purpose by joining him and living with him. Cause he had nothing in his life except that shitty affair with her mom. And it know. was shitty, but it was also funny too. I like him not hiding too well like just driving around the (laughs) bush and i like that perspective too where there's a lighthouse there but then it's like a miniature lighthouse so like it really throws off like what like the distance of things there are like four or five lighthouses on that island of varying sizes and shapes (laughs) i was like why are this like this island is just covered in like lighthouses but like weird different odd shaped ones because she's on that little one when she's spying on her mom when she's with the cop. And then there's the super tiny one in front of their house. But then there's also a normal actual lighthouse. And then there's like little ones in their house everywhere. I'm like the family in particular is super obsessed with lighthouses. Is there a metaphor in the use of that many lighthouses and, and putting the lighthouses around their house? You know, I watched a lot of Light, uh, Lost, sorry. I watched a lot of Lost, <laughs> and uh, I think lighthouses mean something, and if there's five of them, then you can really break this apart. And, and then find John the Locke hidden, shows up. Find the hidden <laughs> message in Moonrise Kingdom. Watch out for the black goo. In one of those lighthouses is Willem Dafoe. And then there's a polar bear. Willem Dafoe would definitely be in one of the lighthouses. <laughs> He's in the smallest it's where, one. It's where Klaus goes. And if there's a polar bear, it's like a fantastic Mr. Fox version of a polar of bear. Of course. It's in stop motion. It's a stop motion polar bear with that's, felt. That's... All right, kids. Good night. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's it. It's a highly enjoyable Wes Anderson film. I don't know if we really broke it down quite enough. Obviously, it comes highly recommended. I think we went really well into the depth of the film. I think that this is a nice, simple film. You don't have to think too hard to watch it, but also it has layers. So if you want to go back and watch it again, you can probably find more to pull from it with each viewing. I think it's a deeper film. Um, It's definitely one of his stronger films, for sure. And it's just so visually beautiful to look at. Like it, that's the thing with Wes Anderson films is that they always win you over with these beautiful visuals, but then they also have that great storytelling, which I think is something you touched on in like the very first episode we talked about with Wes Anderson, where it was like he actually people think that he's a visual style, but he's actually a really talented storyteller, and that his stories are really the 
key piece of his films that make them Wes Anderson films more so. Right, it's the backbone. The style gets yeah. made fun of, but that's why people can't replicate it. They can do the style, but they're missing a chunk of it. And I think that that style combined with how beautiful he does his storytelling, each one of his films, like I said, they have a play structure. They also have a storybook structure, that three play act that they always, that three tier act that they all follow. Like his films are all really good, strong standalone films that give you a full range of emotions that all tell beautiful stories. And even his weakest films still have really strong stories. I would say, even though I'm a fan of it, and if we had done this month, I probably would have picked Fantastic Mr. Fox. He's just telling a Roald Dahl story. And while Roald Dahl is an exceptional storyteller, he only injects his visual style into that film because you can't fuck with Roald Dahl. And I think he was very respectful to Roald Dahl in that film. Like he, he gave Roald Dahl justice. And if Roald Dahl was alive today, knowing the history of Roald Dahl, he was one of the biggest bitches when it came to his content and how it was treated. He hated almost everything he saw made. I think the only thing he genuinely liked was the British animated BFG film that they did. I think that's like his only thing that he ever saw done before he died that he put his stamp on and was he like, probably okay, would have well. hated it too. <laughs> and there's a, I, no, I genuinely think he would have really liked this one. I think he would have loved the felt. I think he would have loved the Wes Anderson style. I think the style, I think he kept the darkness while still making it palatable for children, which is what Roald Dahl does, is he keeps that darkness while making it palatable for children. And I think that Wes Anderson films are capable of that as well. I don't want to compare him to Roald Dahl. I don't think he has a comparison there. He's not as twisted as him. But I definitely think like there is a quality about Wes Anderson films that you can give to a kid, and they can watch it and enjoy it. But like an adult will watch it and have a different perspective. I don't think there's anything in them that's too bad for a kid to see. Yeah, even what you said about the visuals, like I have the criterion and the menu is just beautiful. Uh, it's just shots of no people. And like even the, the shot of like the dirt bike stuck up in the tree just running yeah. <laughs> with no, nobody's there in that shot. And it's just like I could watch that forever. I, I probably had it on for like 12 minutes of it just going through <laughs> and I didn't, four shots. I didn't necessarily mean to go on a rant about Roald Dahl, but you know, he is a solid visual storyteller. And there's very few directors in this day and age who are competent at giving you a single serving short form. This was another, by the way, another hour and a half long film. Bravo, Wes. You are so good at these. Like hour and a half is all he needs for these films. Actually, he's really good at pacing in general. Like he, he I never find his, the only one I really found dragged a bit was Steve Zizou out of all of these like and i just i I don't know like it might be his longest but it it also like absorbs like the the environment a lot more i feel like steve zizu's like about being somber so i think it does make it longer and then when you're watching something where like everything is so fast like fast 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 no wonder it's only an hour and a half well and i don't think like i think with wes anderson people could say oh i'd like to see him try a horror movie or a whatever movie and whatever and i think that he already made it two kids about to jump off a church well i i think he's i think in that regard it's hard to find a lot of directors out there but he's technically genreless he is his own genre in regards to that he creates like i said single serving well-rounded films that inject a full gamut of all of those elements 
that there that you'll find something of the of one of those in every one of his movies and that like in that regard like saying i'd like to see him do a horror movie i'm like i'm sure it would be just as good as anything else that he's done and i'm sure that it would give you comedy and horror and action and you know sorry about your dad and like you know a billion other things because like he's just a competent storyteller and he understands that there's more to storytelling than just like a genre and it's hard to find a lot of directors that are capable of doing that in this day and age and i would way rather watch him than anything christopher nolan makes all day, every day, because, you know, as much money as you pump into something and as big of like your stories and ideas are, you know, you never truly like well round any of those ideas out. They're just visual feasts with a bunch of complicated ideas that never see any conclusion. And it's like, wouldn't you rather just make a fully completed film that makes you feel good after you watch it? That makes you sit there for like three days after like questioning things and asking all this because of which is that stuff's fine too but like there's too much of that and not enough of him i got i got a bit ranty there but you get what i'm saying yes hmm. <laughs> can you think of another director in this day and age who is this competent and creating single serving well-rounded stories. Aronofsky. I agree. <laughs> but there's like, a, there's a few, but it's so spread out. It's like, Aronofsky's there's definitely a handful a, of directors where I get excited every time they have a new movie come out. I agree with that. Aronofsky's different in that he makes big, grand, epic things, but you're not wrong. Every one of his films is well-rounded, single-serving stories. He's a lot more grounded in reality, and he's a lot more grounded in that like sci-fi horror kind of world. He brings those elements in almost every one of his films in some way or another. Charles, did you like this movie? Uh, I do. <laughs> I did enjoy this movie. Um, having, I'll just let you know. Having a hard time interacting as I am staring at a blank white screen currently as I can't see anything. My screen's been frozen for about 10 minutes now. Oh, so you're audio solid. Is... My, yeah, I can hear you perfectly fine, but my screen is almost... And I'm afraid to touch anything because I don't want it to like uh, crash the whole thing and have uh, lose any audio there. But hey, I've just been... oh, you, you moved. You, you finally moved. moved. You're back. Uh, I, I still don't see you guys with a real derpy face. That's all good. Oh yeah. You guys were frozen on my screen for a solid five minutes and then it's been white for, uh, the past five minutes. It, it's, I, I still have nothing on we my just screen. With you. We're like, yeah, yeah. It took me a second to even notice. Like I was, I was kind of like looking over for a second <laughs> and then I looked back and I was like, I was like, hmm, Justin froze. And then I looked over and I was like, Lexi froze. And then I looked at my camera and I was like, I froze. And I'm like, Oh, this doesn't seem good. <laughs> this is bad. Yeah, I'm like, this is this, this is, is bad. real bad. They always say it never even like action movie. <laughs> That's not uh, good. My computer was doing weird stuff earlier while I was waiting for waiting for your invite. Like I had it on and I was looking at my phone and out of the corner of my eye I just saw like a bunch of windows just like flashing, like it was spazzing out, and I was like, Oh, that could be a problem later. Maybe you need a new computer already. You have gremlins. Yeah, I don't know. I gotta, I gotta Spe figure that out. 
Speaking of gremlins, did you know that Roald Dahl invented the gremlin? He invented Gizmo? No, he invented the term the gremlin and the machinery. He came up with that in World War II when he was working on the planes. That's where he invented that. Roald Dahl is credited as the inventor of the the mechanical gremlin. The term. Interesting. I feel like we robbed you of a fantastic Mr. Fox episode. Me? Oh, no. But, but realistically, realistically, since we're kind of like exploring all of Wes Anderson, even though we are focused on Moonrise Kingdom, we could have maybe even did these in chunks and just did a couple of Wes Anderson movies per episode. But I think I think that you guys have executed a really good well-rounded viewing session because like okay going into this i was familiar with his films i have seen all of his films there's like i haven't seen bottle rocket and i haven't seen the new one but i have seen all of his movies and i'm a fan but i would have picked fantastic mr fox like i said because i'm an animation person without thinking about it you guys have set up a really solid like four film structure to go through his growth process and going with Suzu first is a good starting point because that's like that real strong starting point of him defining his visual style to what we expect today. Like that's where it really comes out strongly in his like first kind of thing. And he starts bringing his colors into it and all that kind of stuff. Whereas when you get to Darjeeling, as I said, when I watched that one, that film to me, felt like his strongest, his most well-rounded, his best overall directing film, but it's not the most Wes Anderson-y. It's like his best film, and as a film person, I think it's his strongest film, and I think that a lot of people agree as time goes on with that one. Moonrise Kingdom is super fucking Wes Anderson, but it's light it's delightful it's good it's not just like super ultra visually wes anderson i mean it is but it's also some of his strongest storytelling and he's it's the first time he steps out of that structure that we've been presented through so much of his films about father father fathers this is like a real breakaway point and I don't know where the future is going to take me because I haven't seen his newest and I'm excited to see his newest film after this. Cause I know the films that come after this, but I don't know the newest newest and to see this one where it's the most strong of his Wes Anderson type films, those, those visuals and those cues that you expect from his films. I think that, it can only get more absurd from there. Like, I think this next film, as you've said, it's, it's the most Wes Anderson. And I'm worried about it being that point where he's gone over the edge. And now this is where he is. And I don't know if he can come back kind of thing. And I'm not there yet. And I won't have, I don't have an opinion on it cause I haven't seen it. And I'm excited to see how that episode goes after everything that we've done so far. Cause like, this has been interesting for me as someone who didn't, grew up watching these movies but didn't have this kind of perspective on them 
and I've never gone back and rewatched any of his movies. They're just a movie that because I don't watch movies more than once. I'm not a well, definitely viewer. fit in Bottle Rocket. See that at least once. I need to and... see that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very excited to see that one. And this kind of got me wanting to not just like watch his movies, but collect them. I'm like, he's a director that I think I need to like bring into my collection permanently. I don't think it's just someone who I should be watching and then moving on. I think he's more important. And I think seeing when his films come out and the length of time that he's been around and how he still managed to maintain in this, in this current climate, it's impressive. And I'm interested to see the future for him. And this has been really exciting to do this month. Like, I'm glad that you guys brought me on to start with this. Cause like, I didn't know where this was going to go. And I know I'm like being a little bit long winded. Right we now, never do like, either. <laughs> but like, I'm like, I, I, this was like, this was the most, this was like the point in the podcast of me first joining with you guys now where I'm like, I have a lot to say. Finally, I finally have like more to come up with. So I really enjoyed this month and I'm glad that we picked a director like this to work with instead of someone who I can go back and forth and find negatives because as this goes on, the show goes on, you'll find them very negative and I'm not intentionally trying to be negative, but I don't like a lot of things. So this has been very refreshing. And after doing my old podcast, this has also been some of the best film watching experience I've had in probably the last like five, six years. Just spending a month. I haven't, but I haven't watched anything between these movies other than I saw Spider-Man No Way Home last night. But like, other than that, I have been just taking these in and I just feel so refreshed and invigorated as a film person watching his movies and focusing on this kind of filmmaking and seeing an interesting, deep visual style and not having to worry about like a bunch of stupid CG and a bunch of like things that I don't care about and a bunch of like modern film tropes or any of that stuff and it makes me want to get back into film it makes me want to get back into like watching film again like he's not just like a good filmmaker he's a great storyteller that makes me want to go back in and and get back into a world that's been really stagnant and is making me want to walk away from it and so i appreciate that you guys selected the movies that you did instead of letting me go in and picking what i would have picked because without the selection, the way that you've done it, I wouldn't have had the experience that I've had and that feeling of reinvigoration into wanting to watch film again. And so I'm super here for it. And you guys are awesome. And this was good. And you should watch Wes Anderson movies as someone who's just wanting to watch a movie, but also as a film person, because they will refresh you. (laughs) Especially after all the shit that comes out. God, there's some bad stuff that comes out. And I just want to say... Spider-Man was okay, but, like, come the fuck on. Those movies are just, like, the same shit over and over. And as good as you can fucking do, the best of the best, I'm still, like, who fucking cares? I still feel like they've they've managed to stay fresh. Uh, it surprises me the longevity of them, but Wes Anderson is, like, almost an event. I uh, He's a filmmaker that makes a movie. Uh, there's a couple of them that make a movie every like three to four years. So he is one of those directors that it is his name that sells it. I know that he's directing something. I see that he's working on something. I think they're filming in Madrid. The asteroid called one? A- 
yeah asteroid city. city and it has like it seems like it has more actors in it than and see that sounds like <laughs> science fiction and i'm yeah. like but i don't it does it's not going to be science fiction it's going to be a wes anderson film <laughs> well we'll have to see and you know what though it's not just the audience that like is drawn to him obviously he works really well with his cast or he wouldn't keep getting these reoccurring right actors like literally uh, when we talk about it next week french dispatch i think almost is like the greatest hits like it's virtually like every actor that he's ever worked with plus like a new 20 well and like you've said before they seem to want to work with him and they're giving their best performances in these movies like none of the actors in a wes anderson film look like they don't want to be there and aren't having fun they all and they're okay with like not being the protagonist oh absolutely yeah they're all side characters almost always they're side characters yeah, a lot of them too. Like, in, in even like, all, I, I'd almost say all of them. They get to a point where they just they all fall into the side character uh, role, but they're all fantastic. Like, oh, you got a little bit of Edward Norton. You know, in this movie, he had fifteen minutes of sh- of time. And you want to talk about time. somebody who Hollywood doesn't want to fucking work with anymore? Edward Norton. Like after the Hulk, I, I'm surprised that he gets anything anymore and he's a fucking phenomenal actor he's your he's your actor he was like he dabbled in marvel and was like nope they're not making the type of movies i want to make i'm out i mean he was in some of my favorite movies growing up i mean his performance in the 20th did you see motherless brooklyn i still have to watch that i haven't seen that one but the last great film what for him was that 25th hour from with spike lee where he's going to prison and he does that uh, monologue in front of the mirror about oh yeah, but he's society. done he's done plenty yeah plenty of great movies. That was his last great great. Movie. <laughs> All right, well that is our show. <laughs> uh, okay, good Chuck a place is moving. Chuck looked like a corpse in a coffin. Um, yeah, his. He keeps freezing a little bit, but his uh, his eyes were closed. He looks very peaceful, and I was like, "Well, that's the end of the show. That's we fair. lost Chuck. He's dead now." So I do see some movement now. So if Chuck, you'd like to speak, if you want to say your final words, you can't. You are muted. You do know that, right? <laughs> You you have a mute on the on Zencaster. His lips are moving, but nothing is being said. Uh, Chuck, Chuck's gonna keep his thoughts to himself. That's fair. He's <laughs> shaking his head. Yes. That's fair. <laughs> yes. It's almost the, it's the Jack Nicholson from The Departed. Yes. It's like yeah. It's a little sinister. <sighs> I heard a chuckle. A chuckle. He's unmuted. I don't know what's going on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there was a train I tried to mute I couldn't tell if it muted because it didn't do anything on my screen I don't know what's you going on you got this you're good you sound like me every day of my life I'm like what's going on I don't understand yeah oh god I feel I feel like Tim Robinson trying to drive a car <laughs> I don't know how any of this works and I'm scared <laughs> On that note, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week. Have a great night.
We're Cinema Demore. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter to stay up to date with news and information on upcoming episodes. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, Pandora, Alexa, or iHeartRadio. It would be greatly appreciated if you would subscribe to our podcast on your platform of choice. And we also appreciate feedback, so rate us, review us, and let us know what you think. And above all else, thank you for listening.